Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, April 16th, 2018. I am so glad I'm not reviewing any more bad Easter sermons right now. It's all in your hands. I know who I would pick, but every year the I've picked the one I've like picked for myself. Yeah, it never worked out. I have yet to actually correctly pick up winner. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being Set out there, and we take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast with the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that is put forward far from biblical, far from anything that even remotely looks like what God's Word says, and it's coming from all quarters. You know, some people accuse me of, like, only picking on the charismatics. Far from it. Um, You know, we'll just say that it's coming from all quarters. It comes from Rome. It comes from... Uh, old mainline denominations. It's coming from Baptists. It's coming from Presbyterians. It's coming. It's just all over the place. So, uh, the 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 purpose of this program is to uh, help you to rightly understand what God's Word reveals in context. You're going to learn uh, sound biblical exegesis uh, along the way, a Christ-centered hermeneutic, and a proper distinction between law and gospel. And you're going to find that. <clears throat> So many of the errors that we cover uh, do not require too much more effort than context, context, context. That being said, in today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, we're going to get back to our normal teaching mode, per se. And uh, there are going to be a couple of segments here in our <laughs> in our coverage that, uh, that are going to require more than just context, context, context. Yeah, they're... There are some people making some really weird claims, Sean Bowles being one of them, and a fellow I can't remember if I've ever covered before, but uh, his name, let me find his name here, is Frank DiMazio. Frank DiMazio, he recently preached at Hillsong, 
in Sydney, Australia. In fact, if I've got the date right, it looks like he preached there this weekend. And this guy straight up is a con. He flat out lied about what the Greek text says in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. In fact, he got it so wrong that it can't be an error. It, it can't be like a oopsie or a mistake. He clearly doesn't know Greek, and he's making things up. And so uh, we'll be exposing him today. In fact, why, why don't we talk about what we're going to do? We are going to start today's episode with a Sean Bulls update. We're going to be heading to his social media and looking at a video that he posted on March 28th where he literally makes a claim, and this is what is in the description of the video. If you're going to grow in the prophetic, you need to know what you're doing wrong and right. So don't be afraid to be inaccurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what we're going to do, just so you know, uh, we're going we're gonna to be making a concerted effort to, you know, when we have important segments like this, we're going to make them available not only in the podcast, but also this individual segment will be part of our YouTube channel. So we're going to make a video to go along with this one. There'll be another one we'll make a video of uh, later. Also, the, the Damasio uh, segment, we're going to be putting that on YouTube as well. It makes it easier for you to share, especially single topics like that. But uh, so we'll start off with Sean Bowles. So Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. And then we are going to head over to the television program of Andrew Womack. Andrew Womack is one of these guys who is a word of faith heretic. And he's not wild-eyed and crazy like Ken Copeland. Uh, he's a little more soft-spoken and, and carries himself more respectably. But he's every bit as dangerous and a Bible twister as a Ken Copeland. And so we're going to be listening to... A, uh, a portion of a program called Don't Limit God. Don't lim- Apparently we can limit God. Who knew? But uh, yeah, so we're going to be taking a look at that and watching how he mishandles Scripture along the way. And somewhere in there we're going to have to take a break. And then in uh, the last part of the first hour, we have a Hillsong update. And that's where we're going to be taking on um, this uh, Frank Damasio fellow who preached at Hillsong over the weekend and expose him for the complete con artist that he is because, like I said, he was so wrong, the only explanation is that he was on purpose lying. That's the best way I can put it. Hour number two for our sermon review, we're heading over to Audacious Church. We're going to hear another sermon by Stuart Kerr and called The uh, Gateway of Heaven. So that will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. want to remind you that uh, registration is still open and registrations are coming in for this year's uh, Pirate Christian Radio Conference in August. Uh, if you haven't already registered, this would be a good time. Space is limited, and that's on purpose. We like to keep our conferences small and intimate so that people can have interaction with all of the uh, different guests that are there, as well as all of the different people, you know, conference attendees. And uh, so it's, it, all of the information is over at fightingforthefaith.com. And click on the link that says 2018 PCR Conference, and you can get the information on how to register, cost, you know, travel arrangements, where to stay, things like that. So just want to remind you about that. So since we're going to begin with a prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, let's go ahead and do this. Oh, hallelujah. Get up right now. 
bits. Yeah, that's Robert Tilton and Hubaba Kanda. So we're heading over to the social media for Sean Bulls. And uh, he's, like I said o- earlier, he's got a video that he's uh, recently put out talking about growing in the prophetic and is literally telling people it's okay to be inaccurate. Wish I was making that up. Here's Sean Bulls. So I just want to read this. Growing in the gift of giving words of knowledge is no more challenging than any other revelatory gifts. It's just more black and white. You can't say I feel like your birthday is in May without it being absolutely right or absolutely wrong. Now, it looks like he's reading from a book that he wrote. Isn't that interesting? You You know, during the sermon, he's preaching from his own book. Not from the Word of God. And what he said didn't sound anything like what the uh, Word of God says. Let me back it up. We'll watch it again and uh, see if we can make heads or tails of this. So I just want to read this. Growing in the gift of giving words of knowledge is no more challenging than any other revelatory gifts. It's just more black and white. You can't say, I feel like your birthday is in May without it being absolutely right or absolutely wrong. <laughs> so some of us go, it's, it just feels so hard. It's hard because you're accountable immediately to the information. And then- right, yeah. So, I mean, if you're hearing from God, do you think God doesn't know all the information that is pertinent to the person that you're supposedly prophesying to? It's one of the hardest things where we don't want to be accountable to information because we don't like to be wrong. So if you like to be right, you're not going to grow in the word of knowledge. I'm just being really honest. And- so if you like to be right, you're not going to operate in the word of knowledge. Again, how can this be a true gift from the Holy Spirit? At least how can somebody be truly operating in the gift of the word of knowledge and they get it wrong? That doesn't make any sense. So let me remind you what the biblical standard is. And this standard is still in play. When we take a look, we're going to be looking at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and we're going to be looking specifically down at the bottom uh, regarding the uh, prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name. And here's what Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 15, says. It's important to note that there's a, a, a vital prophecy regarding Jesus here in this text. Uh, Yahweh, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen, just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb, On the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God, or see this great fire any more lest I die. And Yahweh said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And this is a prophecy that Moses gave regarding Jesus Christ, and it actually took place. Yeah, Jesus is the guy that the Lord raised up. And verse 19 says, Whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So you're going to note that the the emphasis of this text regarding a prophet that will rise up is regarding Jesus. you got to listen to him. If you don't believe him, you don't follow him, 
God's going to require it of you. And uh, and so, which immediately begs the question, whoa, whoa, how do we know if we're hearing from God? But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, well, how may we know the word that Yahweh has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. Important to note here that if you're hearing from God, God knows how to communicate to you. And over and again in the charismatic movement, they they create this false narrative that somehow God's out there broadcasting on some strange, you know, spiritual channel, you know, and he has things he wants to say to you, but you've got to learn how to tune in properly. This is the Holy Spirit. I, I'm, I'm trying to communicate to you. Is anybody there? Can you hear me? Hello, testing, one, two, three. I mean, this is nonsense. That is not how it works. God is capable of communicating, and if he has something he wants to say to you, or let's just say he gives you a prophetic word for somebody else, he can make he, he can communicate it in any way he wants and make sure that you know that you're hearing from him. And here, the person who says, well, this, that, and the other thing is going to happen, and it doesn't happen, they haven't heard from Yahweh. God makes that perfectly clear, and in the ancient theocracy of Israel, the the penalty for this is death. So, um, yeah, it's this is just straight up simple. So, what we're hearing from Sean Bowles is already not in accord with Scripture, and uh, is making room for inaccurate prophets. Why? Because he is one of them. So let's keep listening. I'm publicly displaying in front of thousands of people all the time. Sometimes I'm wrong. And I'm- so Sean Bowles just admitted that he gets it wrong. By the biblical definition, he is a false prophet. There is no other way around it. He's just admitted this fact. You okay with it? Because I was around prophets who were like, I've, my words have never dropped to the ground. I'm infallible. I've actually had prophets tell me this. All right, so notice the way he's characterizing prophets that he's encountered who say that, that none of their words have ever fallen to the ground. He's, he's basically painting them as bad guys. They are, they are evil. They are, they are smug. They are arrogant. And, uh, and so, yeah, watch this. People that you respect, that you'd probably come to their conferences, and I'm like, ooh, that feels bad. That's like an old culture thing that came in the church somehow because... Right, yeah. This idea that prophets have to be accurate. That's an old culture thing. You know, yeah, It's back in the Stone Age, literally. And uh, the, the guys who still hang on to that stuff, they're so old school in their approach. you know, And they're just a bunch of really out-of-touch, smug, arrogant old guys. Yeah, okay. If you were wrong, you got disqualified, your conference has shrunk or, shrunk or something. I don't know. But you, you, there's a pressure for you to have to tell me your words didn't fall to the ground. And I just know human nature. When I start tracking, for Mike Bickle, I start tracking several prophets that we were stewarding in our Kansas City prophetic movement. And I was finding areas that they were wrong in. And I'd go to them and I would say, hey, this lady, like one of them, one of the main prophets of that movement, I went to him and I said, this woman, uh, she's actually... She's actually died of cancer. You called her out by the date, her birthday, told her her name and told her family she's going to live and not die. And then she died 20 days later, 27 days later. And did you catch that? I mean, what does that tell you about IHOP? I mean, literally. I mean, 
Wow. So somebody, main prophet of IHOP, gave a prophecy that somebody would live and not die, and they died. And Sean Bowles has admitted that. Now, let's listen to Mike Bickle talking about this exact same topic. I get probably, uh, I don't know how many dreams or visions sent to me from because of the Internet around the world, email, or even people from our city that aren't a part of IHOP and people part of IHOP. And most of them I don't pay attention to. I, I just think they're distraction. I think they're not real. I don't mean the people aren't real. Some of them are faking it. And there's a lot of people faking it. But even good people just have dumb stuff. It's just dumb. And my, I'd say probably 80% of what I hear, I throw it away. Does it move? Again, 80%. By Mike Bickle's own admission, 80% of the stuff he hears is inaccurate. 80%. And he's going to talk in a second about... Um, the types of healings that take place there and uh, within the charismatic movement. It all doesn't bear witness to me. The, I still like the guy. I believe in his walk with God, but I don't believe what he says from God. You know, the dream. Same with healings. I think there's a lot of healings out there that are really real. I've seen them with my eyes. They're really, really, really real. Okay, but but there's a big but coming. A lot of people report healings, and you look back a year later. It wasn't real. Was it a lie? Some people lie. They mm. just lie about healings. Other people. Mm, a lot of people lie about healings. Feel pressured. So they say they're healed when they're not. Mm-hmm. Other people genuinely feel good. They feel better. Two days and then you check in a month or two later. Well, what was that? I don't know. But there are real healings. I don't know what all that other stuff is. But the, but there are real healings. Trust me, I've seen them but there's a lot of stuff that isn't really real healings so sean bowles noted that and then went to talk to one of the major prophets of ihop and said what's the deal here you said this person would live they died 20 days later do you mind just calling her and comforting her heart just saying hey i'm so sorry the prophetic i'm not hurt but i'm sorry her husband that was really inappropriate her husband and just saying hey i'm really sorry that my word didn't work out i don't know why and I just, yeah, I'm really sorry that, you know, that the prophecy I gave you turned out to be false. I, I'm not sure why that would happen. Hmm, let me think about what are possible reasons why that could happen. Oh, I know. That prophet is a false prophet and they don't actually hear from God. I'm just praying for your family. That's all you got to do. And he goes, no, they probably send. <laughs> so he refused to comfort the per, the, the family of the person who died, who they gave the prophecy that she would live. And he blamed it on the family, said, oh, somebody probably sinned. Wow. There are pastors who are amazing. And I was like, no. And I literally went, I don't, I, I don't know how to rebuke you. I need to slap you with the Bible or something. I don't know what to do. <laughs> mm. So rather than sit there and go, you know what? The Bible says that this is one of the tests for whether or not somebody's a true prophet or a false prophet. That guy's a false prophet. I need to run away. No, that's not what he's going to do. Uh, he's going to rework the definition of a false prophet so that inaccuracies are make somebody still a true prophet, not a false prophet. I said, no, this is called taking responsibility. You have to do no, and it was, and it came from a generation who wasn't allowed to be vulnerable with their weakness that were just human, and we had to be right. Right, it was a generational thing because you know the other generation they just couldn't be vulnerable. What a bunch of nonsense! In the Old Testament theology, that you always have to be right, or you're stoned or killed for the most part. And then, uh, yeah, by the way, there is no deviant deviation in that standard. 
In the New Testament, there is not a different standard given. Watch what he does. New Testament, it wasn't about the information being right. It was about the quality of love you gave. The only nonsense. There is no biblical text that say now that in the New Testament, prophecy isn't about accuracy. It's about the quality of love that you've given a person. I mean, that's just absurd on its face. I want you to think about this. So in love, I'm going to give you quality, loving prophecy. Right. And so I come to you and I give you and, 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 and what I'm saying is inaccurate. But, man, the quality of the love that I am showing to you and telling you these inaccuracies is just off the charts. How could a false prophecy have any quality regarding love for a person when it's not true? Because you're saying you're speaking because you're hearing something from God or the Holy Spirit is revealing something to you and it's not true. I don't see how any, any, any prophecy can claim to be loving when it's inaccurate. And by the way, Scripture says in First John that no lie is of the truth. No lie. Debt that remains, according to Romans, is the debt of love, not accuracy. Praise Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to back that up a little bit, just just a smudge, because I want you to hear the nonsense that he is saying, because what he is saying is just blasphemously bad. So, I mean, making up his own standard, claiming, oh, in the New Testament, it's all about the quality of love. Love you gave. The only debt that remains, according to Romans, is the debt of love, not accuracy. Praise Jesus. Yeah, he twisted Romans there. So if I'm one of your forerunners, there's many forerunners, but if I'm one of them, and this many of you have gathered to see, one of the things I want you to walk away with is don't be afraid to be inaccurate. Just don't take your... Yeah, don't be afraid to be inaccurate. Just give them quality love in your inaccuracies. This is absurd. So seriously that, you know, people have to receive everything you say. That's why I use language that's uncomfortable for some people because they've been in prophetic circles where you say, the Lord told me, brother, that this will happen on this date and blah, blah, blah. And I say, I feel kind of maybe if. I feel kind of maybe if. That's weird. You know, if God's speaking to you, why is he not able to speak to you clearly so that you can convey the message with clarity and accuracy? The Old Testament prophets had no problem with this. Like none whatsoever. Why on earth would we think that now in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit is is fuzzy in his communication and inaccurate in what he is speaking? That's not taught anywhere, by the way, anywhere in the New Testament. Moving along, time for a money-grubbing televangelist update. Let's do this. Don't want no loving. Don't want no kissing. Don't want no gal to call me honey. Don't want my name in the Hall of Fame. Just want a big fat pile of money. Give me that almighty dollar for that lettuce, hear me holler. Give me buckets full of ducats. Let me walk around and waller in Mazuma. Elder Nero, wanna be a millionaire? Give, Give me, me money, 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 money. I want that green ammunition. That's the stuff for which I'm wishing. Fill my closets with deposits. I'm a demon in addition. Give me shekels, give me pesos, let me see their smiling faces. Money, 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 money. money. Wanna get me a suit that's made out of oot and whistle for wearing it green. 
I got that monetary itis, like speeches like King Midas, want that golden touch is what I mean. Give me that old double eagle, want that tender that is legal and financially substantially, and there's some I can and beagle, want a living regal splendor for that loving legal tender. Money, 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 money. So we are heading over to the studios of Andrew Womack, and uh, we're going to be listening to a portion of a message that he claims he received from God himself. And, you know, I just have to ask, did, was he, does he know he received this word accurately? Because it's all about apparently uh, limiting God. Yeah, it's weird. How do you limit an almighty, all-powerful God? Apparently you can do it. Let's listen into Andrew Womack. Our Monday's broadcast of the gospel truth. And today I'm going to begin a brand new series talking about don't limit God. You know, some of you might have heard me talk about this, but the last time I taught on this was in 2014. And the statistics that I was using for a comparison to show how this was working in my life, of course, now is all dated and a lot of things have happened And I just really felt impressed to share this with you because I really do believe that every person watching this program, I don't care who you are, I don't care if you're just passing through and you're intending on going somewhere else, I can guarantee you every one of us limit what God can do in our life. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so if this is true, why don't you just open up your Bible and show me those biblical passages that say, don't limit God and... And all of you everywhere out there, you, you can limit him. You see, already we're on a, we're on a sketchy start here because uh, I'm not familiar with any texts that talk about how I can limit God and how the vast majority of people are out there limiting God. I mean, God being all-powerful, if I can limit him, wouldn't that make me more than all-powerful? I believe that there's a single one of us that have tapped God out. I'm going to be sharing a lot of things with you. Some of this is going to be history about how God has shown this to me. And this first became a revelation to me on January the 31st, 2002. Yeah, so note that uh, January 31st, 2002 was the date when this new doctrine finally arrived in the Christian church. Apparently, we've been missing this until then. But thankfully, yeah, it showed up a little bit late, like 2,000 years late. But hey, it's it's here now, and God revealed it to Andrew Womack. And since that time, this is something that God has spoken to me many, many times. Matter of fact, just recently in the last week or so, God has been showing me how I'm still thinking small. Man, I've got to... Yeah, your small thinking can apparently limit God, says no biblical text anywhere. But he again, he says he got this not only via a direct revelation, but repeating direct revelations. Increase. And I really believe that we serve a big God. He is capable of anything and everything, and he wants to do more through... Right. He's capable of anything and everything except for... He, because he's he's still not bigger, bigger than I am because I can limit him. This is nonsense. Every one of us, then any of us, have ever allowed him to do. And even though this is what I consider to be the second most 
life-changing encounter that I'd ever had with the Lord when he... And see, this was a life-changing encounter, a second most. It was only one other life-changing encounter that was more life-changing as far as encounters go. So that proves that, I mean, what he's saying has to be true, right? Owed me these things. It's not something that just happened in 2002. It's continuing to happen. and It, it keeps on happening. So that, that, that shows that this is something God wants you to believe. I mean, over and over and over, God is just showing me that I need to think bigger. I need to... Right. Yeah. It's just, so think bigger, man. Please him. I don't need to limit him. Right. Stop limiting the all-powerful and almighty God, would you? I really believe that until the day I go to be with the Lord... I believe that God's going to be showing me that there's more. There's something I can do. I'm never going to be content. Well, let me rephrase that. I believe I'm supposed to be content, but I'm not going to be complacent. Right. Don't don't be complacent. You know, he's getting up there in years, though, so he's already kind of thinking about his death. I'm never going to get to a place where I feel like I've finished, and now it's time just to sit and wait, you know, to go to be with the Lord. I believe God has big plans, and it's not just for me. Right. There, there, there's big plans for you, too, man. You, so stop limiting God. He's all-powerful and stuff, but you're more all-powerful and stuff. This is for every one of us. And so the very first things I'm going to do here for the first few days is just try and get across the fact that we limit God. And this is a radical concept to a lot of people. Yeah, and I guess the reason why it would be a radical concept is because it's not a biblical one. Uh, we'll we'll pause him right there, and uh, we're going to take a break and uh, pay some bills. So if you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook facebook.com forward slash pirate christian follow me on twitter my name there at pirate christian quick break when we come back a little bit more andrew womack and then a hillsong update and in this one you know the lies are so bad they have to be intentional stay tuned don't want to miss it we'll be right back if you're a weather warrior it's time to lay down your weapons you're listening to fighting for the faith You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. (laughs) Max Holiday's Birdcage Theater presents Church Day Select. And now, Max Holiday's Birdcage here proudly presents Sessions with Mildred. Now, Mildred, I have some very important information to show you in this next video. It's going to give you the tools necessary to know if you're hearing directly from God. But anyways, Dr. Barbie, we are going to talk today about symbols. Yes, I like Because symbols. oftentimes God speaks in symbols. So outside of symbols, what are some of the ways that God speaks to his people? Well, major ways through his word. 
but his Holy Spirit speaks to us and communicates to it through a symbolic language, through even signposts on the highways, through music, through the dance, through nature. The other day I was at your home and a dove kept flying by the window. And to me it was the Holy Spirit bringing messages through the dove appearing, which represents the Holy Spirit. So as you can see, Mildred, God talks to us in many, many, many ways in everyday life, which is why... I got you this. A Cracker Jack prize? Yes. I mean, no. Do you have any idea how many box tops I had to send in for this thing? Um, no. It was a lot. It doesn't matter. Anyway, what you see before you is, in fact, your very own Holy Spirit decoder ring. What does it do? What doesn't it do? When I turn it on, it has the ability to warn you when the Holy Spirit is trying to give you an important message. Like what? <laughs> I'll show you. We know that the Holy Spirit can talk to us in all kinds of ways. He could even be trying to send me a message through this radio right now. Hold on, let me change the station. for now. <laughs> Let me help you turn on the ring. I have a great idea. Why don't you take it out for a test drive? Aren't you gonna come with me? <laughs> you know I can't leave. Being under house arrest is so much fun. If I were to leave my house for more than 20 seconds, then the cops would show up and tase me again. And who wants that? Now here's how the ring works. When it beeps like this, that means that there's a sign that you need to see in the area around you. Um, Mr. Sunshine, when the ring goes off, how am I going to know what the message is? Trust me, you'll know. It'll be so obvious that you won't miss it. And on top of that, the ring will make this sound when you've guessed it correctly. It couldn't be simpler. You are now free to leave. I'm really sorry to have to bother you at your house. They told me that these sessions are a part of the pastor's vision and that if I don't go, it will be a sin against God. You think that somebody under house arrest would be free from any and all ministerial obligations, but no! I guess that would make too much sense. I'm sorry that I caused you so much pain. It's all your... I mean, not your fault. <laughs> my, my, look at the sun. It's time for you to go. Have fun with the decoder ring! is gonna go off. I see a McDonald's, I see a sign twirler dressed up as a hot dog, and I see the town park. You want me to go to the park? Okay. There's a dog eating grass, 
His owner is picking up the poop, and there's a bird flying towards the road. Is the bird a message? The little bird just got hit by the truck. I think I get the message. Uh, all I see now is a couple having a picnic by the pond. You are such a jerk! I think they just broke up. Um, there's a tetherball court. But there's no tetherball or rope, it's just a pole. I don't see any kind of message here. I think you're broken. I'm gonna take you off my finger now. Oh no, it's stuck. I'm gonna have to go get some soap from the bathroom. I can't let you do that, Mildred. Oh dear, it's become self-aware. Mildred, you and I are bonded as one. I am an instrument here to reveal his secrets to you. I will deliver his messages to you, for it is his will that you should know them. We are going to be together forever. Hey everyone, it's Rex here to tell you about a product that I use on a daily basis. It's Coffee by Gillespie. It's delicious. It's got the caffeine you need to be a functioning member of society and it's, it's coffee. There's all sorts of different blends to choose from that are themed alongside the church calendar. So not only does it taste insanely good, but it's also liturgical. Somehow. All you have to do is order it online at gillespie.coffee, and it'll arrive at your door in a convenient, resealable bag filled with either whole bean or pre-ground coffee. I personally like mine as whole bean because it goes so well with milk. Yeah. Now that's what I call a balanced breakfast. So head on over to gillespie.coffee and get some. That's G-I-L-L-E-S-P-I-E dot coffee. Rex out! This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches.
back. Uh, warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that New Testament prophets also need to be accurate and that it's not loving if they're inaccurate. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It is a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew, the other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey at $9.95 a month. After that, Gunner's made at $24.95 a month. From there, Master Gunner at $49.95 a month. And then Quartermaster, $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, the way you do so is by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And, of course, if you'd like to support us by becoming a patron on Patreon, you do that by click on the Become a Patron button. Let me thank you for your support. We truly and honestly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, let's head back to the studios of Andrew Womack as he's trying to explain to us this revelation he received in the early 2000s, that uh, we can limit God. It's not found in the Bible, but he's received it many times, so it's got to be true. There's a lot of people that honestly believe that whatever happens, that God is the author of it, that God just controls everything, and they have this fatalistic uh, attitude. Yeah, fatalistic determinism is not the thing that you would pit against this... <laughs> This doctrine of yours that somehow we can limit God. Just feel that, you know, God made them uh, to be nobody special, that there is nothing special about their life. And I tell you, I do not believe that for a single person. Now, if you just look with your physical eyes and you look back in the history, maybe of what you have experienced, your life may not be special. You may feel like there's nothing special about you, but I can guarantee you God created you to be special. God created you and placed you. Yeah, I'm special. So at the heart of this doctrine is I'm special. Mm -hmm. Why do I feel like he's scratching my itching ears? In certain places, and he has awesome plans towards you. Oh, yeah. You know, a scripture that is often used is Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, I know the... Uh, yeah, Jeremiah 29, 11. Yeah, how many times have I heard people mangle this text? So here's the issue with Jeremiah 29, 11, is that, well, when you apply the three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context, uh, we've got a problem, and that is, is that the context tells us a few things. And uh, number one, that this is a letter that was written to Jews in exile. And it's important that uh, we pay attention to the context here, because Andrew Womack is a popular guy, uh, but he's really mangling these uh, this text. So Jeremiah chapter 29, starting verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from the from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So there's your, your context. We know who this letter is for. It's for Jews who are in exile. 
Why were they in exile? The reason they were in exile is because they persisted in impenitent idolatry. And the Lord was patient with them and sent them prophet after prophet after prophet who God pleaded with them through their pro- his prophets, calling them to repent, promising them to be forgiven, and uh, and they still would not repent. And finally, there was nothing left for God to do except for to exact justice and enact the um, the punishment portions, the curses portion of the Mosaic Covenant, which is what he did. So this was a letter that God had that he literally dictated to Jeremiah uh, to send to the people in exile. And in start, partway through verse 4, it says this. This is the letter. Thus says Yahweh Savaoth, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to Yahweh on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says Yahweh Savaoth, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. So you note the false prophets that were there that were deceiving. They weren't receiving real revelation from God, yet they were that didn't ever stop them from going on and sputtering and muttering and speaking words that God hadn't given them. And he says, Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it's a lie. They are prophesying to you in my name. These are lies. I did not send them, declares Yahweh. For thus says Yahweh. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Now, let me remind you, who is he talking to? Is he talking to you and I? No, we're reading their mail. Mm -hmm. And then he says this, for I know the plans I have for y'all, y'all, the y'all, it's a plural there, by the way. I know the plans I have for y'all, the exiles declares Yahweh, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares Yahweh, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares Yahweh, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, you kind of get the idea here uh, that uh, we've got a problem now. Uh, Andrew Womack is claiming direct revelation from God, claiming that this is a new doctrine, that God has you know, reinforced it. And first verse he goes to is Jeremiah 29, 11, out of context, in order to somehow prove that we can limit God. Did you notice right there that uh, did the people of Israel limit God at all? He didn't seem to be limited at all. In fact, he took their impenitent carcasses out of Jerusalem and threw them into exile under the under the dominion of Nebuchadnezzar for their impenitent sin. Yeah, it's interesting. ...that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. The NIV says a hope in a future. 
And if you were to take this in its context, it makes it even greater because in this 29th chapter of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet yeah. because he brought the announcement of judgment to the nation of Israel. And he was proclaiming that they were going to be destroyed, that Babylon was going to take over the city and that basically the nation... Uh, yeah, that that cow had been let out of the barn by the time Jeremiah wrote chapter 29. Yeah, the, there were exiles already under the dominion of Nebuchadnezzar. Israel was going to cease to exist except in exile. And it was a, it was a negative word and Jeremiah wept over it and he pronounced all of these bad things. And if you read Jeremiah chapter 29, this, the whole chapter is just about how all of this judgment is going to happen. But in the midst of God... Yeah, no, I just read out a large portion of Jeremiah 29 and that's not what it's about. Announcing judgment through the prophet Jeremiah, he pauses and he says, but this isn't what I wanted. I know the thoughts I think towards you. Yeah, no, that's not what God said. Yeah, it was God who was writing to them through Jeremiah. Um, God didn't say, but this isn't what I wanted for you. No, I know the plans I have for you. No, no, no. The Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Again, the NIV says a hope in a future, but I like that expected end because in other words, instead of you just living your life and hoping that things work out well and, you know. What are you talking about? What you are saying has nothing to do with what that passage says at all. And that proves you didn't hear from God regarding this new doctrine that we've got to believe going back to what, 2002, that uh, we've got to believe that we can limit God. You don't want to. Uh, die and go into old age decrepit and having maybe a stroke and partially paralyzed and you, you're hoping that it's not happening, but you just don't know. No, you can serve God and you can appropriate the things of God and you. So you can appropriate the things of God so that you never have a stroke and, uh, and experience poor health at near the end of your life. Cause of Jeremiah 29 11, really. And notice how he's not limiting God by saying these things. He's he's believing in a big God. So all the limits are off. Have an expected end. I'm saying this by faith, and I know that there's people that will... Oh, I'm sure you are, but you're not saying it by direct... Revel uh, actually, by biblical revelation, because this isn't taught in Scripture. Agree with me, but I can guarantee you what my end is going to be like. I'm going to go out with a shout, not with a whimper. I am going to go and I'm going to be healthy. Moses was 120 years old. His so Andrew Womack's going out with a shout, not a whimper. Okay. Um, don't tempt God is the best thing I can tell you here. Natural force wasn't abated, nor his eyesight dim. He was under an inferior covenant to what we have. Our promises are much, much greater. And I believe that if Moses could do that, praise God, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be healthy. All, right. All the way to the day he's going to die. He's going to be healthy. Okay. Believe in God for things. And I expect a certain end. The point, reason I'm bringing all this up is to say that God has plans for you. And oh, yeah. He's got plans for you. But, you know, you've been limiting him and he can't make his plans come to pass because you've been putting the kibosh on his, all of these plans and stuff. Look at Andrew Womack. He's believing for big things like he's, you know, going to be perfectly healthy all the way until the day when he stops breathing. Okay, yeah, that was really weird. Moving along. 
Praise the Lord for all the cash I've got. Time for a Hillsong update. My Rolls Royce and my yacht. Serving God ain't hard with a credit card. Jesus died so I could make a lot. Praise the Lord, He's made us millionaires. Wave your donations in the air. We've replaced our hymns with ATMs, and soon we'll charge a fee on every prayer. Jesus Christ was a poor man, don't you know? He should have used our accountants for his cash flow. Stop the sermon on the mount, he should have had a bank account. Two thousand years with interest. He'd be rolling in the dough. Praise the Lord, this song's out on CD. Just forty ninety five plus GST. Hallelujah, Lenny and Moolah. Solid gold baubles on my Christmas tree. I've got all of heaven's riches. Thanks to all you stupid people. Yeah, praise the Lord and pass the tithing bucket. So uh, we're heading over to Hillsong this past uh, weekend. Uh, Frank DiMazio was the gentleman who delivered the message, and the name of the message was Take Your Life to the Next Level. And right from the beginning, just just put it this way, totally smelled a con. Not only was he twisting scripture, but he was lying. And that's the only way I can describe it. Straight up lying about what the Greek text says in Revelation chapter 4. Now, a little bit of a note here. I don't flaunt this. I just will put this out there because from time to time, it's good to remind people of this. My baccalaureate, my bachelor's degree is in biblical languages. Yeah, I've been reading Greek for more than two decades. Let's just put it that way. And so I know Greek. I know Hebrew. I know modern Hebrew. All of that being said, when somebody does what he's doing, and you're going to hear Frank do this, and like I said, we'll put this on our YouTube channel so that you can actually see the Greek as well. When somebody does this, there is no other explanation than this guy is on purpose deceiving. You can't be this wrong accidentally, not even close. This guy is engaging in a con job for the purpose of scratching itching ears. And uh, Hillsong ultimately is responsible because they're the one who put they're the ones who put him on the stage, and they're the ones who put this video out there. And they should know better, is the best way I could put it. So let's get to it. Here is Frank DiMazio, and take your life to the next level. Uh, We only have so much time, so I won't mess around too much. We've got to get to it. Uh, I'm going to uh, speak on a subject that everybody in the room and online, wherever you are, Watching, you will experience this word, and you'll apply it to yourself. This is not. I'm going to experience this word. I can hardly wait to have this experience. Specialty group. This is not a certain kind of person. It's every person in the room. If you're on your way to find Christ, this is a word for you. If you're on your way to deepen it, it's a word for you. If you are in some hard times, it's a word for you. 
If you are a new business person, old business person, middle-aged, young, old, doesn't matter. Yeah, we got it. You think this is a word for everybody. By the way, God's word, rightly preached, is for everybody of every age. Uh, Everybody uses this phrase, and I'm going to use it in a biblical fashion, and we're actually going to exegete, that is, we're going to go into some scriptures and... and Now, he says he's going to exegete, but he ain't going to exegete. He's going to mangle eat. I think that's what you, how you say it when they mangle. Yeah, it's mangle eat when you mangle the word. Trying to go in and do some study this morning. I'm going to talk with you about taking your life to the next level. Mm. And how do you do that? How yeah. do you take your life? How do I do it? How can I take my life to the next level? I've always wondered how to do that. To the next level. Uh, everybody wants to. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt that in this room, nobody is going to sit there and say, nope, I don't want to take my life to the next level. Pastor Frank, forget that. I am going to stay right where I'm at the rest of my life, whether you're 15 or 50 or 100. Uh, that's not true. Uh, it crosses your mind and it comes into you once in a while that you might want to improve your life or you might want to go to a higher level or you might want to see everybody at least at some time might want to improve their life. So see, this is totally relevant shoot a little higher. Uh, You might want to uh, break out of some things that are in your life right now so that you can do this thing that we're talking about, taking your life to the next level. Here's my definition, pure and simple. Taking your life to the next level requires three little things. And we're only going to deal actually with one of them. Just three little things, tiny little things. But it requires three little things. A breaking out. Okay. A letting go mm-hmm. and a stepping up. And so, so break out. All right. And then a letting go. Let it go. And then stepping up. Okay. Got it. Do you have a biblical text that says this? That these are the three steps for how to take my life to the next level? You're in the room and you're thinking about going to the next level in your marriage, your finance, your ministry, your business, your college, your your own personal spirituality, whatever it might be. Yeah, I want to go to the next level in my heresy hunting. Yes, I, I do. I really do. And you would probably have to get to the place where you would break out and... So first, I, in order to become an even higher level heresy hunter, step one... Don't hit my microphone. Break out. Got it. I, I, where, where do I do this breaking out thing? You have to let go. Yeah. And what do I need to let go of exactly? You have to step up. Okay, yeah. And so what I'm talking to you about is not so much in the arena of definitions of vision and dream, although it's, it's embedded in this kind of a teaching. But right, I, it's embedded in there somewhere, right, yeah. Talk with you about the action of taking dream to reality and the action of making vision more than a fantasy. Right. So how do I do that, man? It's the action. It's the strategy. It's the stepping. It's the letting go. Right. There, there's many people in the world that have had great visions for themselves, mm-hmm. but not everybody fulfills great vision for themselves. And so- no, most don't. Probably not. Times it simply is. I just would point you to like New Year's resolutions and things like that. Don't break out. They won't let go. No. And they won't step up. And that- so notice, no biblical text so far, but he's got the three steps, break out, let go, step up, and now he's repeating them. So, you know, everybody there in Hillsong thinks, oh, yeah, this guy's a pastor. This has got to be what God's Word says, and he's even repeating himself and, like, drilling it into their heads. But no biblical text actually says that this is how you go to the next level. 
every decision this morning. Nobody can do it for you. I can't break out. I can't step up. I can't let go for you. It's only for you to do that. And you have to decide how far you will go with those three things right there. How much? Right. How, how far do you want to go with your breaking out? If you only want to break out like a short distance, then you only have to let go of a little bit. <laughs> I, 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 I'm assuming that's how that works. How deep, how wide uh, you're going to go with what it means to take your life to the next level. Mm. In the next level, there's four things that everybody in the room will experience. New season, new level, new miracle, new door is the next door. Okay. Right. Where are these four things once I get to the next level? Where are those four things laid out in that manner that I can see that? Everybody will have a next season. If you go to the next level, mm-hmm. you're going to enter into an Ecclesiastes season. There's a time and a season for everything. I'm going to enter into an Ecclesiastes season. Is that like winter or more like summer? I, I'm, I'm not familiar with these Ecclesiastes seasons. So the next level has to have next miracles, and next miracles have to have next doors. And so when you have seasons, levels... Right, next seasons, next levels, next miracles, next doors, yeah. Yeah, this, <clears throat> he's baffling them with bovine scatology is the best way I could put this. ...some doors, you begin to understand that's what makes up this next level. Mm. If you're going to go to the next level... You have to change because the, the person you are is not the person that you will be in the next level. And so right, you. So I got to change who I am. Yeah, right. What about being true to myself and being authentic and stuff? If, if I change, then if, if I become inauthentic, I'm, I'm a little worried about that, you know? You have to have a different you for the next level. The level you have now and the you you have now is not the same you you will need in the next season, next level, and the new door you... And notice how utterly vague this is. Yeah, the, the, these are like smokescreen words. There's hard to nail down anything specific here. Through. So you have to be committed to kind of changing yeah. and being a new you yeah, yeah. and going through that door, going into the season and all that that means. All right. So we're going to deal with two scriptures now. Revelation chapter four, verse one. All right. So Revelation chapter four, verse one. Let's take a look at it before he gets to it. Revelation chapter four. Verse 1. So let's apply our three rules for sound biblical exegesis, which are context, context, and context. And you're going to note that you're going to need a little bit of Greek. I'll help you with that. Uh, it, it, in uh, the opening part of the book of Revelation, we note that, uh, that, God, that Christ has dictated certain letters to be delivered to particular churches uh, through the Apostle John. You know, so uh, chapter 3 begins with, To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And you're going to note the uh, there are red letters in here, which means this is Jesus speaking. Yeah, the book of Revelation has red letters as well as the Gospels. You'll also find some red letters, by the way, in the uh, in the book of Acts. And so the angel of the church of Philadelphia, write to the angel of the church of Laodicea, Right, and in fact, let's take a look at that um, letter to the church in Laodicea because I think it's uh, quite, um, shall we say, salient regarding uh, what we're looking at here. So, to the angel of the church at Laodicea, the right, the uh, the words of the uh, the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Oh, would that you would either be cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you, buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, so the letters there end. Chapter 4 then begins with these words. Look. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me, like a trumpet, said, Come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in in heaven, with one seated on the throne, and he who had sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow, that had appeared, uh, that had the appearance of an emerald. So you're going to note that there's a now there's a change of location. In the beginning portion of the book of Revelation, John was in exile on Patmos, and he's so he's on planet Earth, and Jesus appears to him. He's got the sword coming out of his mouth, and all of that. So now change of venue. He is no longer on Earth. He's Christ says, "Come up here," and he is now up. In the third heaven. That's what's going on here. Now, as I was reading this, did you see anything in here about taking your life to the next level? If you say, yeah, I didn't see anything about taking my life to the next level. Yeah, well, then you were right because there's nothing in here. Revelation 4 has nothing to do with taking your life to another level. Let's head back and uh, see what Frank has to say here. What I'd like to do is have you listen real careful and just take notes if you take notes or, or just absorb what I'm going to say. But Revelation chapter 4 verse 1, I understand it's written to the seven churches and on the Isle of Patmos and the Apostle John and he's doing all these writings and there's symbols and types and prophecy and I'm not dealing... Well, actually, he's done with the letters there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so there's this... This is now the segue to the uh, the heavenly visions portion of the book of Revelation. With any of that, I'm just dealing with the idea, the principle behind this scripture. And I want you to say in your mind right now, this scripture is for me. This is Well, of course it's for you. The question is, in what way is it for you? I mean, there's even a blessing uh, promised to those who would read the book of Revelation. My scripture, it's a personal application scripture. I'm going to take Revelation 4 and verse 1, and I'm going to go through some of the words in a moment after this. How does one make a personal application of chapter 4, verse 1, where John is told to come up to heaven? How do I personally apply that? Hmm. This guy's a con artist. Looked, and I saw a door, and it opened into heaven. Then the voice spoke to me, And sounded like a trumpet come up, and I will show you. I want you to notice in this translation, this EV, where it says, and I will show you the next. And we're talking about taking your life to the next level. But I want you to... And I will show you what will happen next. 
See, he just did a word search, found in the CEV translation the word next, and see that, voila, now this is about how you can go to the next level. Yeah, let's go back and take a look at this. So um, the text itself, after this, I looked and behold, a door standing in in heaven, and the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place. And here's literally the Greek, metatauta, metatauta. And that literally means, and since tauta, by the way, is in the accusative, when meta appears, that's a preposition, tauta, when it's followed by an accusative, that means it is to be understood as meaning after. So I will show you what must become or what hap- what must happen after this, after this, you see, the after this is really kind of talking about the end of the world and stuff. But I'm just saying. But uh, so he found in the CEV the world the word next, and so this is about going to the next level. Mm-hmm. Out a couple words, and I want you to listen to me mm-hmm. as I just kind of Greek them out without boring you. But I think the definition and the idea behind the words set you up for going to the next level. Right. And so where it says after this, so you're, if you're taking notes, you would maybe just have like one through seven. These phrases or six or five, whatever, how many I do. But the after this phrase is the Greek word that means to take a pause, to pause, to push the pause button. It means to stop and to expect something new to happen. Yeah, no, uh, let's go take a look. So remember down here at the end of verse 1, I'll show you what will take place after this. Well, it's funny, verse 1 of chapter 4 begins with the exact same words, meta tauta, after this. There's nothing there about taking a pause. This, (laughs) what he just said is a straight up, lie. And if you know Greek, you can check you can fact check this guy, and I know Greek. This guy is pulling a con. He's lying and he's so far off in what he's saying, it can't be an accident. He's straight up making up things here. And so the words that are used here with the uh, uh, John is exactly what's going to happen because he's going to have a uh, succession of visions and, and the heavens are going to open up and he's going to be, begin writing revelatory things to the church that we still use today. But I'm talking to you about your life and I'm saying to you for us to get to the next level, I think Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is a scripture for you and I where it says after... No, it's not because this text has nothing to do with going to the next level. Let me back this up just a smidge. I think Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is a scripture for you and I where it says, After this, that is, I pause and I expect something new to happen. Again, I mean, this guy is a con artist. He's straight up lying. Metatauta doesn't mean anything like that, and nor can I apply this to my life. Because in this, this little portion of the book of Revelation, this is a smidge of like narrative, historical narrative of the account that happened as he was receiving the revelation. In that, I'm going to look. It says, and he looked. And again, the Greek usage here is that he turned a new direction. 
no. So, so the Greek here is he turned a new direction. So here it is in the Greek. Metatauto Iden. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh I after this I looked. I saw. There's nothing there in the Greek that says anything about turning at all. After this I looked, and behold, a door standing in the heaven. And the voice, the first voice, you know, I heard it, which I had heard, was like a trumpet was speaking, you know, to me. Uh Uh-huh. No, he's totally making this up. What he just said is not in the Greek at all. He's putting things there that are not there. And since Hillsong, let's just say, doesn't have a high value on biblical scholarship, nobody there is equipped to defend themselves against these lies. But he's straight up pulling a con. And that he began to attach his focus on what he wasn't looking at before. So it's a change of focus, a change of direction, and this is what's going to happen with John because he won't be able to see the visions if he doesn't look at the door that's going to open. Sometimes God wants to open doors, but we're looking the wrong direction. We're not... Yeah, uh, see, now notice what he did here. He took a a descriptive text, and has turned it into a prescription and lied about what's in the Greek. This guy is slick. This is straight-up false doctrine, twisting of Scripture, and there is no application for you to apply to yourself here. None, none whatsoever. This this is not... Revelation one is doesn't reveal the secret steps that you need to apply in order to take yourself to the next level. You know, break out... Let go, step up. Nope, it's not in there at all. Not pausing long enough. We're not listening for that next step. We're not actually looking for the new. We're going through the routine, and you have to let go of the routine in order to get to the new, and you have to pause. That's the spirit of prayer. That's the spirit of reflection. That's the spirit of expectation. It's a pause. It's a waiting. It's a looking. And here with John, he's looking for the opening of the door, and the opening of the door is actually in the Greek, which is a fantastic image. It's a vault. It's like a a huge vault that's going to open, and the vault takes you into another house it's it's mm-hmm. yeah let's take a look at that so after this i looked and behold a door thura so there's your word thura let's take a look at bdag which is the greatest new testament you know greek lexicon there is and let's see what it is thura are you ready it's a door yeah of habitable quarters, open the door. Yeah, place near the door. You know what a door is? It's a door. It's not a vault. It's a door. Yeah. So again, he's straight up lying. This guy doesn't know Greek. He's making things up. He's taking a descriptive text and turning it into a prescriptive text. A scratching, itching ears, and it's all about you and going to another level. This is what it means to twist God's word and to make merchandise of people and teach for shameful gain things that ought not to be taught. Now, here's the thing. Now, I understand he's the guest preacher there at Hillsong, but Hillsong's still responsible. They should never have allowed a a charlatan like this to teach their people anything. And, you know, it's, it's embarrassingly bad just how inaccurate and lying he is. In fact, like I said... You can't be this far off 
and it not be a lie because this isn't just a mistake. This is like innovation. This is a purposeful innovation and in adding things to the text that are not there. So Hillsong, shame on you for allowing Pastor Frank to twist these to twist God's word in this way. However, I would note that that's par for the course there at Hillsong. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, sermon from Audacious Church in Manchester in the UK. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. No sneaky squid spirit formed against us will prosper. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Listening to this program right now. Have you ever found yourself wishing there was more Fighting for the Faith content that you could listen to and share with your friends? Well, you're in luck, because we now at Pirate Christian Media have a YouTube channel that we upload content to on a weekly basis. We got programs like Twist Busters, You Don't Have to Be a Cessationist, Messed Up Church, Exclusive Skype Interviews, Pirate Gang Conversations, and our most popular segment, Dumpster Fire. So if you're looking for some extra pirate Christian media goodness in your life, head on over to YouTube and search for Fighting for the Faith and subscribe.
Hey, ho! The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Audacious Church. Stuart Keir uh, presiding. The name of the message is The Gateway of Heaven. On the one hand, it's not an Easter sermon. Yay. On the other hand, it's not a good sermon. (laughs) So... <sighs> the slog continues. Let me go ahead and back off on the music, and without any further ado, here's Stuart Keir and the Gateway of Heaven. Here we go. Over the last years, it's been a, a real journey for me to understand how God has shaped me and understand who I am. Because I don't know about you, the more you understand who you are, the easier it is to function in what God has for your life. Because we can try and squeeze ourselves and push ourselves into other areas and other roots. Because we think that suits me better. We've got to lean into God and go, okay God, you shape me, you mold me so that I can play the part that fits what you want me to do, not what I want me to do. Uh-huh. This sounds like the uh, dream, destiny, purpose-driven doctrine here. Which isn't biblical at all. Why does this feel like this? I've become confident over years, not just of leading church, but more of following Jesus personally. I have become confident that he knows me better than I know me. Not only does he know me better, he knows my future better than I know my future. So the more I lean in... Yeah, an all-powerful, omniscient God definitely knows more about us than we do about ourselves. In fact, God makes that point in Scripture when he talks about even the hairs of our head are numbered. For some of us, that that means a diminishing number, you know, on a daily and weekly basis. Thankfully, that's not my case, but you, you get what I'm saying. Him for that, the easier it is to hit the things God has for me. And the same is absolutely true of you. I, I love the church. I love being a part of this church. I love being a part of the church. And the church and this concept has always been a powerful thing right the way through Scripture. If you've got your Bible, and I hope you bring your Bible to church, Genesis chapter 28. You don't have to bring a paper Bible, but make sure you've got a Bible of some kind with you. Genesis 28 is the the story of where Jacob has fled from his home and has an encounter with God in the form of a dream. Because God wants to speak to us in myriad different ways. Jacob lies down and... uh, Yeah, no, the story of Jacob is not there to tell us one of the different ways that God wants to speak to us. Yeah, that's not the purpose of that. He's a stone as a pillow. And he puts his head on this pillow. I mean, I've stayed in a few hotels where they use a stone as a pillow. You know, and I put my head down and thought to myself, long night ahead. You know, or you sit in a hotel where there's this thing they call a pillow, but really it's just a pillowcase, you know, with three feathers. And you've got to rearrange them to try and prop yourself up. 
You know, ever had to fold a pillow multiple times to make it work for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Jacob, he's just got this stone. He put it down and he sleeps at night and he has a dream of a, a, a stairway between earth and heaven with angels going up and down the stairway. And we pick up the narrative uh, down in verse, chapter, verse 16 of Genesis 28. It says this, when Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Which is an interesting idea that God can be doing things and we can miss it. That God can be speaking to you and it takes actually your subconscious to recognize it and then the conscious follows it. Listen, some of the things that have gone on in your lives that you think have shaped your life badly was God at work. He has told you subconsciously. All right, so this is another example of taking a descriptive text. This, The book of Genesis is historical narrative, and he's turning it into a prescription. It is true that Jacob, you know, he saw a vision of, you know, a staircase or a ladder going from earth up to heaven and the angels ascending and descending on it. But this isn't some prescription for us, and this is why he's falling short. Your conscious mind needs to catch up that God was doing something in your life. Because he wasn't just bringing you through, he was preparing you. Because his preparation in the pain is what sets you up for success later. Athletes will tell you, it's the hard work that you do in training that gets you the moment of glory. Uh, One of our guys from church, uh, this week has become a double Commonwealth champion. And... That's pretty good. And he's also set a new world record in cycling. So done incredibly well. If you watch Matt and you watch him cycle, you will see that that it's it's over pretty quick. It's a pretty it's a two hundred meter sprint on a bicycle. That's what he's got a that's what his world records in two hundred meter sprint. Two hundred meters is not a lot, but there are months. And months and months of gym and getting on the road and putting in the miles and working hard and eating the right food and doing the right things and turning them to the right practices. All of that for around about nine and a half seconds. Listen, the difficulties, the challenges, the pains that you've gone through have been shaping you to bring glory to God in a nine and a half second window that is not just going to change your life, but is going to change the lives of others as well. It's too easy to say, get me out. It's better to say, bring me through. Uh, If we can get bring me through into our mentality rather than get me out, it's amazing how much more we will achieve for the purposes of God. Yeah, again, this has nothing at all. This text has nothing to do with what he's talking about. He's taken a descriptive text and turned it into a prescription, and now he's pontificating. He's not exegeting. Pontificating is not how you teach what Scripture reveals. Church is about all of us understanding our part and playing it to the full. Jacob makes this statement, surely this The Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I want to make a declaration over this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Really? Okay. Um, That would partly require you to actually rightly teach God's word and, you know, 
all the things that Christ has commanded. This is nonsense. That's what we believe. Now, all the way through the Old Testament, don't clap too much, I've got lots to say. All the way through the Old Testament, no, you can't. Um, there's lots of encounters with the house of God. And through the Old Testament, they, they, it was either, at first it was a tent, the tabernacle, and then it became the temple. And time after time, we would read verses like this. Um, the Lord himself will establish a house, it says in 2 Samuel. In Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord. In Psalm 84, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. In Psalm 122, let us go to the house of the Lord. There is picture language the whole way through the Old Testament that this place, this this temple, this, before that the tabernacle, that was the house of the Lord. But when we move to the New Testament, the focus is not on a building. Like this is a great building. It has served us really well and continues to serve us right now. But we're heading really fast to the day we've got to leave it. Because it can't do everything that we want it to do. And if this is God's house, God outgrew it. But it's not God's house. The New Testament changes the emphasis. And this is what it says say, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We are God's household, the church of the living God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. We call church home. And when we use that phrase home to describe church, we're not talking about the building. We're not saying this building is our home. We're saying, because a house and a home are two different things, aren't they? It takes work to change a house into a home. You ever been to visit someone, you walk in, you think, this is not a a home? It's just a house? There's someone existing here. Yeah, lots of pontificating. Thin on exegesis. Like, so far, no exegesis. But no one's living. We're not creating a place to exist. We're creating a home. And it's a home for who we are, not a place that we just gather in. It's a home where we can go, we connect together, we work together. We are together in the midst of all this. This is our home. Therefore, that's why we often talk about church as family. That we are the family of God. That we are the church. This is just a building that serves the church. Uh, that's why. Now, technically, that's true. I'm not taking issue with what he's saying, at least in that content. What he's saying is true, is that it is the Christians who are the body of Christ, and they are the ecclesia. This is true. We talk online to those of you who are watching, because this is home. You may be watching it through a screen, but it can be as much home as for, as for those of us who are sat in the room. That's why in just a few weeks we launch online church with people connecting, not just so that you can watch church, but so you can interact, have people to pray with, have people to listen to what's going on in your life, so that there is a connection that goes on, because just to observe church doesn't make you a part of it. You have to be church. You have to be church for the church yeah, they are. If they're Christians, they're already the church. Behold, um, I'd like to invite a friend of mine. Can we? Can 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 he come on? Is he all right? I know he's a little nervous. 
he gets very worked up. And um, that's great. They just, just they just brought a skeleton onto the stage. Um, it's my friend Bernard. He's not been coming to church very long. And uh, as you can see, he, he really came to faith quite late in life. Um, it, it is a guy. I did, I did check with some of our doctors to make sure this is a guy. Apparently, it's all about the angle of the pelvis. So we know that this, this is a guy. Uh, we also know everyone's now looking at his pelvis, which is odd, right? That's gone really odd on me. Um, I'm going to move on. It's all right. They're not looking now. Um, it's also worth noting that Bernard's quite short. I'm six foot and um, not particularly in heels today. And um, Bernard's about, I don't know, he's not very tall, is he? Which begs the question, where is Mark Foster? As um, we just tell you he's in Chester, but none of you have ever checked. Hmm? So, um, uh, when, when Paul, he's in, he's in New Zealand, actually. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or so we say. Uh, 1 Corinthians. All right, so we're finally getting to a biblical text, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 12. Um, uh, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians and he talks about uh, the church being the body, right? And every part connected. And, and I, yeah, that's the part that actually rules out that everybody has the gift of tongues because the Holy Spirit gives differing gifts so that the church can function as a body with different body parts. What you think about, it, but this really helps me think about it um, because we can see those literal connections here uh, as we work our way. He's actually lost the top bit of his thumb. Um, that's okay. Um, as we work our way through, we can see the connections, the way that um, that Bernard works together, the parts that there are. And in in Corinthians, it talks about that each part plays its part, and it's easy for us to think about our part. This is the bit I do. This is my bit. Um, this is, you know, this is the role that I play. This is the function that I have. Uh, this is what I do, not just in church, but outside church as well. This, this is, this is my part. And miss fundamentally the fact that you cannot. It is completely impossible for you to do your part without being connected to somebody else. You cannot be church alone. Uh, Let me say that again real clearly. You cannot be the church alone. Uh, You can believe in Jesus, but you cannot be a passionate follower of Jesus alone because he calls us into community. Why does God call us into community? Because God is community. He is Father, He is Son, He is Holy Spirit, and it's the invitation into that that God puts before us. Yeah, I feel like we're not doing real theology here. I feel like we're doing philosophy that has touch points based on biblical texts. Yeah, again, lots of pontificating. Very thin on the exegesis. Become followers of Him. So for us to go, I'm a part of the church playing my part, but I would really like to take myself off away from those other parts. It's utterly ridiculous 
when we understand 1 Corinthians 12, Bernard's got a few issues. He's got a few teeth missing. In fact, he's got a few more teeth missing than he had missing last time I was talking to him. So I don't know what's happened to him backstage, but that makes me nervous about what's creeping around. Um, Bernard's great. I mean, most of him's here. The odd little bone's missing, but you know, you can get by without the odd bone or two, right? And, um, you know, Bernard's fine because he can help us just to, you know, see in a moment the sort of... I'm surprised we're not hearing the song, them bones, them bones, them dry bones, yeah. Nature of who we are, the, you know, we can pose Bernard and set him up to do (laughs) different things. He's great. But if that's the church, then the media's right. The church is dying. If that's the church, then the narrative's absolutely right. There's more leaving than there is remaining. If if that's the church, because there's a heck of a lot of um, muscle and tissue and sinew. I mean, there's little things like the heart. The lungs, the kidneys, the liver, the brain. There's a few things that are missing in the function if that's how we view the church. See, the church, although Bernard helps us to go each... Who views the church as a skeleton? I'm curious who that person would be. Can you give me an example of who thinks that way? It's connected to another part. We have to realize that we're not connected to another part just to do our little bit. When we go and do our little bit, actually, that's described as being broken. You ever broken a bone? At that moment, uh, I broke my elbow ice skating. That was my uh, left elbow. It was just before Christmas. We were ice skating. And um, my son was a lot younger than he is now. And we were skating around a rink in Greenwich. And um, we'd gone for the whole hour with nobody falling over. And as they kind of, you know, they blow the, the fog on or whatever it was, we start to skate towards the exit. He goes, both feet up in the air. And I try and hold him up. And then his, he takes me straight down. And I land right on the end of my elbow boom and i know straight away because there's a difference between you know when we get hurt as guys and we make a lot of noise and when we get hurt as guys and we go quiet we go quiet when it's real pain when it's a little bit of pain we might make a lot of noise about it so i just i I had a hoodie on uh with a pocket across the front i just stuck my arm in and we sort of went in we had a hot chocolate with some friends and uh, and then i said to julie we need a babysitter she says why do we need a babysitter we're going home no no no, we're not going home we're going to a and e because i've broken my elbow she's like don't be silly you've not brought so anyway i'd broken my elbow and uh, I spent most of Christmas asleep on Cocodamol. And, um, and, and we know. And when something's broken, isn't it amazing how the rest of your body seems to feel it as well? Then why is it when you're living separate to church and you're in pain, the rest of us don't feel it? It's because you're not connected the way that you should be. That may sound a little harsh. And the reason I say it is this. We want you to be connected because we want to be with you in the midst of what's going on. Because as church continues to grow as it has done, it's really hard for us to go, hey, we know everything that's going on in everyone's life. That's already way past impossible. 
But we need someone to know what's going on in someone's life. Because we need, well, we need this bone connected to this bone. And then this one connected to this one. So the information travels in a significant way. Now, I I would remind you that supposedly this has something to do with Jacob's ladder, and the name of the message is the gateway to heaven. I feel like we are far away from Jacob and the gateway to heaven. I'm not even sure we're going to be able to get back there, but we continue. But those connections don't happen through bones. They happen through tissue. They happen through change. I, I want you to... Just for a moment, welcome Marianne. And and she's going to show you what the church should look like, not what Bernard looks like. All right. It's now time for some kind of a a dance. I I don't know what this is. This is some kind of artistic impersonation of what... I don't know what. Let me fast forward. She came out and showed us what this is supposed to look like. She's dancing around the skeleton. So, Stuart Keir has come back out. We are not designed to operate alone. No, no, yeah. We are designed to operate together. We find our fullness when we realize we are part of a whole. That emptiness that you wrestle with, that struggle that you find, where you're going, I just don't fit in. It's because you're trying to find the peace that you are, rather than being a part of the whole. Because it takes someone outside to cause Bernard to move, but it just takes a moment. So he really thought that was a profound thing that he had this woman come out and do some kind of interpretive dance around the skeleton. I, Again, just bizarre. Put it like this. He said, in Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama, a dance. Yeah, what context did C.S. Lewis make that comment in? I'd like to see that. Tim Keller wrote this, Father, Son, and Spirit. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Tim Keller at all. Pouring love and joy and adoration into each other, each one serving the other. They are infinitely seeking one another's glory. And so God is infinitely happy. And if it's true this world has been created by this triune God, then ultimate reality is in fact a dance. Matthew chapter 11, the message says this, walk with me and work with me. Yeah, notice it doesn't say dance with me. (laughs) Ah, This guy's trying to be profound rather than faithful to what the biblical text says. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Yeah, that unforced rhythms of grace quote is from the message. It's not from an actual good translation of Scripture. Listen, the reason that our hearts respond to art and creativity is that we serve a God who is the great creator. We serve the great artist 
who formed mountains and ran streams through them, who created valleys, who every color in the palette came from his heart and from his mind. And so when we see a dance, we don't just see an incredibly talented young woman who's worked hard at her craft. What we actually see is an image of the church. Right. So when we see a dance, we see the image of the church. Again, no biblical text says this. That as we function and work together, as the one head gives commands to the rest of the body, and the body moves with fluidity and rhythm and grace, lives get changed. Last Friday... Uh, We did Good Friday service for the first time. And then we left this place as one body into our community, representing Jesus as his church. And we engaged with picking up litter, with handing out Easter eggs, with welcoming people, bringing joy and life. And it was like an orchestrated dance of the church down streets and roads and into neighborhoods. As we were doing all that we're called to do. We are called to gather. But we're also called to go. If all we think the church is. Is the point of gather. We have missed the point of the church. Kind of like he's missed the point of what a sermon's supposed to do. You know. Actually preach the word. If we think it's just about, I've got to get there on a Sunday so that I can get energy into me and power into the muscles of my body so that I can then function off on my own for a week before I come back and get another, here's the phrase that people like to use, top up. Number of people who say, I don't come to your church, but I like to come to your church every now and again for a top up. I fundamentally missed the point of church. Yeah, again, like he's finally missed the point of a biblical sermon. Don't gather to top up. We gather to glorify him. We gather so that we together dance before him in our worship and in our praise. That the dance continues through our giving in an offering, through listening and responding to preaching, there is the dance going on of God at work and moving. Today's Gateway Sunday. And here on Gateway Sunday, we're focused... What is Gateway Sunday? Not on our normal focus. We purposely flip the focus and we stay, instead of focusing on our gather, we're going to focus on our goal. We're going to help one another to understand that being the church, that fluidity, that grace, that beauty, being the church is impossible alone. Being the church is impossible when you're missing. And my dad, who sadly passed away now, um, had through a number of circumstances, had to have one of his legs removed when I was around about 18, 19 years of age. And, um, and, and the loss of that leg brought with it a label. And the label was disabled. That was the label that was put upon him. Now, I don't know how you cope with trauma, uh, but as a family, we cope with trauma via the word humor. 
we cope with it by laughing about some of the things that occurred in the midst of it. Um, my dad had a little button on the side of his leg that if you pressed the button, you could take his leg off. Really helpful at times. There was an occasion, I was probably about 19, I was home from college, this is before I was mature and married, where I, um, uh, we were sat in the lounge watching the telly and he was perched on the edge of an armchair and um, he wanted to change the channel. And, and I had the remote, and so he was like, give me the remote. No, he said, I'm going to come and get the remote. So I put the remote down, leapt across the room, pressed the button, and took off his leg. <laughs> and and, and because, because his leg still had his shoe on it, and sock pulled up, um, I never quite worked out why did he wear socks, because he didn't need to, but they did look better. Um, it would stand alone. So I would have my dad sat on an armchair on one side and his leg on the other side of the room. My children grew up thinking that all granddads had removable legs and were bitterly disappointed to find out that Julie's dad just had normal legs like everybody else. How granddad can you be a goal if you can only be in one place? Was a key question in my son's life. When you're missing, we don't function to the full. When you abdicate your part, when you use statements like, this this, this is not for me, I'm happy to come, but I, I don't feel there's anything for me to do. Uh, let me tell you. They need lots of volunteers because they can't afford, you know, the payroll because the building and the set design and the dancers and and the musicians, those are really expensive. So you you can't you can't disappear. You you got to be there otherwise they can't continue to put on a weekly show for free. We are not the church we're called to be. But when each of us Every one of us grasp and understand we have a part to play. Then we become that glorious, beautiful dance. That- right, that the scripture nowhere mentions, but he just thinks it's a cool metaphor, man. God has created us to be. Marion, stay there, Bernard, don't you move. Guys, come and join me for a minute. Come and join me. Uh, what- Are we going to get more dancers now? Welcome, uh, our regional, uh, sorry, our gateway leaders. Give them a hand. Come on, they're coming up. Here come the leadership team. Uh, maybe they'll cast some vision here in front of the skeleton. Come on in. Everybody find your space. You all have a part to play. There's not a part in the church... This is the cl- clinching moment here. You know, something important is supposed to be happening at this second. I'm not sure what, but the leadership team is all out there looking important and stuff, you know, next to the skeleton and the dancing lady. That hasn't got your name on it. Somewhere there's space for you. Our responsibility leading the church is to equip you and help you find your position to play that part to the full. This is what Gateway Sunday is about. How do we help you find your place and shape and function in it to the best of your ability? Josh, Josh, great. 
Josh runs a, a dance company and runs tours. Uh, he has t- run tours for people that you would know around the world. And there's times where he's traveling for months. He is not in church because of the traveling that he's doing. But at no point are we thinking to us. So he, he runs a dance company. And those are vital parts of the body of Christ, you know, because, you know, <laughs> the gifts of the Spirit include like, you know, teaching and administrating and dancing and stuff. Josh, what is wrong with you? Why have you abdicated being in church? We're thinking to ourselves, come on, Josh, go and be the church in what you're doing. Go and represent Jesus to people that we don't have the privilege of representing him to. So we're not texting him to go, hey, where are you this Sunday? Josh, you're supposed to be on car park. We're encouraging him with, mate, we see where you are in the world. We see the job that you're doing. Go ahead and do it. We're, we're challenging that. Uh, Rachel in a business and the businesses she's developing, the people that she's mentoring. We're not sat there going, Rachel, you know, you could meet them all in our building. We're saying, go. Go right out. Go and play that part. Go and connect with those people. Go and win those awards. Go and do all those things that impact and bring change. Luke, passionate about sport. Passionate about watching it, mostly, if we're honest. (laughs) Passionate about Wales. Hits a nerve with so many guys who would say, Church, I I don't connect with church, but someone like him, oh, I totally connect with him. Because on a Sunday, we gather. But on a Monday, we go. Come on. That's beautiful. We- wow, okay. Yeah, there you go. Beautiful moment there in the, uh, the bullpen. Uh, d- did their duty on cue. Uh, that was amazing. We don't spend the week waiting to get back together. We spend the week in our gateway. What do you actually come together to do again? What's the purpose of a church service? Because remember, Genesis tells us this is the house of God. Yeah, no, no. In fact, what's interesting is is that when you read the Gospel of John chapter 1, you learn that Jacob's ladder is a type and shadow of Christ. Yeah, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. I've taught on this before. You can find it in the archives of Fighting for the Faith. The gateway of heaven. And if the house of God is not the building, it's the people, then whether Josh is on tour or in his office, there is the gateway of heaven. Uh, right, yeah. So it doesn't matter if the dance director there is in the building helping people do dance choreography for the next cool thing that they do there, or he's on tour. It doesn't matter. He, he's, he's the gateway of heaven. No, he's not. Mariana's dancing because she's been paid to do that, or she's running her own business in which she's a dance company, then that's the gateway of heaven. Whether Ben's in school... No, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. Yeah, it's... 
In fact, I feel like I should probably probably take a look at it. Gospel of John, chapter one, and uh, in there it, it, we uh, <laughs> we see Jesus calling his disciples. And uh, you know, a fascinating thing happens, you know, like around verse fifty-one. But I'll read it in context so you can see what's going on there. Um, starting at verse forty-three, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, "Follow me." Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, "We have found him of whom Moses, in the law and also the prophets, wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph." And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, indeed in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. And you are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to them, Truly you, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Yeah, so there you've got the picture from, you know, Genesis 28 of Jacob's ladder, and it's pointing to Jesus. Yeah, that's how type and shadow works. But uh, Stuart here is um, trying to make profundities and uh, not do exegesis, and uh, he is now completely messed up the entire imagery of Genesis 28. Uh, teaching maths. You'd never guess he was a maths teacher, would you? Whether he's teaching maths or fulfilling his role of leadership in school, he is bringing the gateway of heaven into that place. Because No, actually, he's not. Is being the church. Whether Chantel is doing her work in the children's home or he's doing work with me as we plan a children's home that we as the church will run, she's being the gateway of heaven to both staff. No, she's not being the gateway of heaven. And children who may not choose to come to a building, but instead, because we have gone. The gateway of heaven opens where they are. And then the week turns and we gather. We draw back together and we're inspired and we're enthused. And we talk with one another about what's going on in our lives. Sometimes our gather is in the midweek in a life group where we share, this is what's happening in my life, these are the challenges I'm facing. Will you stand with me in the midst of it? And most of those challenges we don't share in our life group and go, hey, man, I'm really struggling finding a seat on a Sunday. We're talking about this is what's happening with my work. This is what's happening with my family. We're talking about there. Yeah, we're not talking about Jesus, though. Yet this Jacob's Ladder is actually about Jesus. Because the impact of here changes it. And so we gather and then we go. We move out. Now everybody just went on cue. He said the word go and they all scattered. Yeah, okay. Sunday comes to a close. And instead of finding ourselves lifeless, stuck here, 
hoping that it'll give us a bit of an injection. Maybe someone's going to shout clear and try and bring some life back to us. Trying to, yeah, and he just did the paddle thing with the uh, skeleton, trying to show, using the paddles on the skeleton to push, bring him back to life. We carry that life. Yeah, and uh, you're going to note, like, he's just pontificating, not actually exegeting. It's really getting annoying. Julie turns up in a university tomorrow morning in the counseling department of that university, not knowing what's and who is going to come through the door and the challenges that will bring with it. She's carrying the life of God. She's actually impacting her gateway, not going, I'm just going to shape how everybody thinks, but actually going, here's this one person. And this one person for this next hour has got my time and attention. And although I'm not going to say in Jesus' name at the end of it, and I'm not going to say amen as we come to a close, there is going to be the spirit and life of God because... In the same way it flows through Julie, it's flowing through Josh. So in exactly the same way, he doesn't have to get to the end of a tour and go, hey, everybody gather around, let's hold hands, we're going to pray together and take communion. He's going to go instead, guys, you did an incredible job, he's speaking life and he's speaking... Right, so apparently just saying, hey guys, good job on your dancing thingy, that's now speaking life and the Holy Spirit is now, you know, speaking through him when he does that. Oh, good grief. This is not what any biblical text says anywhere. And he's speaking encouragement. He's doing all the things that we're called to do as people filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's bringing an impact and a change. When you are not part of our gateway heart, it's not a program. It's our heart. Because we get together on a Sunday. Yeah, so you've got to be part of their gateway heart. I have no idea what the phrase means, but it's important to them. We gather here and we pull in and we go, we gather here so that we can go. So that we just pause and go. We come in. So all the leaders there are trained that when he says go in, they come to him. And then when he says go, they scatter to to make the point. You know, it's like a dance. We gather and we go. Yeah, see, they uh, we, did it again. We, they, they scattered again. Gather. Uh, now they're coming back. I'm just trying to get your steps in for you, okay? We don't gather to put up a tent. Ooh, yeah. Ooh oh. Yeah, they, they, that's the volunteers in the bullpen there. Because we carry the presence of God. It is sometimes more tangible when we worship together, but it is as real when we go. You see, when we go, and Luke's day job is he's a pharmaceutical rep, and when Luke goes and he's on the road and he's traveling from town to town and seeing different hospitals, I guess, and GPs, and this is what's available, this is what we can do, in that go, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So being successful for his company is a part of doing what he does. We want you to be successful for the business that you work in. 
if you're in local government, I want you to be successful leading the civic gateway. When I go, and this last few days, I've been in Westminster, and I've got, I didn't go dressed like this. When I go, and I'm there, I'm feeling, I'm carrying the presence of God. I am being the church. I am being audacious in the midst of Westminster. Next. Yeah, see, when you do the go thing, you're being audacious. And everyone knows that's an important thing, because, you know, Stephen Furtick taught us that. When my good friend, who is a government minister, comes and sits and we can ask him questions on anything. We can quiz him on what's going on in the world. We can ask him about the stuff that the government is doing. He is coming as a Christian, sat in cabinet, full of the Holy Spirit. He gathers in his church and then he goes. Some of you gather and you go as firemen, as police officers. Some of you gather and go. The sad thing is is that this could have been a good sermon if he'd actually talked about the biblical doctrine of vocation and how we do our good works in our different vocations as father, mother, husband, wife, child, employer, employee, you know, things like that. But I think that's what he's trying to get to, but he's like fallen way short. As GPs and nurses and receptionists in healthcare, some of you gather and go as teachers and educators. We gather and go in every one of our gateways, but we are always connected. Because the same Holy Spirit that's on tour with Josh is dancing with Mariana. Right, the Holy Spirit is dancing with all these people, you know. Helping Luke to sell and to watch sport passionately is helping Ben as he's teaching, is walking with him down those... Cue sappy music. This is an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God the Holy Spirit is now descending on the audience for what I don't know, but, you know, something important, I'm sure. Trying to help the, the challenging young people that he has to walk through the issues of their life because sometimes he's the only parent that they actually get to meet who cares about them and loves them. For you teachers, let me speak over you. Your love for your pupils is what is changing their lives. You are carrying the presence of God into their circumstances and situations. And we want to encourage you and we want to lift you because we don't just want you to feel like we're, we're for you every now and again. We're for you every day. Whether, like Chantel, you're working with some people in some very confused situations, some very challenging places. And you know you're the only love they're going to encounter because mum and dad already made a decision about loving them. And it wasn't the decision we hoped it would have been. You're encouraging staff and lifting them up. Whether, like Rach, you're walking into business and in your business world, you are making decisions that affect hundreds of people's lives. That you're deciding where to invest and what to do so that it gets a great return. Not so you can just give money to the church, but so we can build society and transform our city by wonderful business operating ethically that brings change. Yeah, listen, it's about making disciples of all nations. God will do the transforming. That's beyond. That's like way beyond our pay grade, the best way I could put it. Focus on the mission. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching all that Christ has commanded, and leave the, uh, the societal transformation to Jesus. He'll, he'll be able to handle that. Transformation. Or whether like me, you have the privilege of sitting down with local and national government and having a conversation. There comes a moment where we have gone and then we gather. 
And church, we are gathered here today for the express purpose, stay with me, of going. (laughs) We are gathered here today so that we can together find your place, fit you into Gateway, so that these people, we can encourage you in your goal. So that we can champion you in your art. So notice, this isn't about being salt and light in a dark and saltless world, uh, rat riddled by sin and things like that. No, this is about going and just, you know, doing, you know, telling people way to go. You know, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Good job. Yeah, that'll transform the world. No, it won't because people are going to stay dead in trespasses and sins. This isn't about making disciples at all. And in your media, so that we can champion you in your family, in your healthcare, in your business, in your sport, and in your education piece, so that we can be the ones who are cheering you on, and we can be the ones who, when you feel the pain and challenge of it, you know where to go. Because we all face it. Josh faces when someone majorly lets him down as he's organizing a a big dance camp. Josh is funny because not only does he run a dance company, he just can't dance for love and the money. You would have thought with all those dance teachers, one of them could have helped you. But when he's facing the crisis, he's got a bunch of people around him that he can go, hey, can can you pray for me? I'm on the other side of the world, but I'm just going to drop you a text. Would you stand with me right now? That when some of our sports guys go through the crisis of injury, uh, they've got a physio and a doctor, they've got all the practical support, but sometimes they need a mate who's just going to go, let me pray for you as well. Let me stand with you in the midst of that and encourage you. In our healthcare world, you're sometimes fighting with some very difficult situations and circumstances. And then you're wrestling with how you feel about it. We want to be able to support you and help you so that you play your part in business, in family, in education. We want to do all of those things. This is church. This is what you're called to be a part of. Yeah, this isn't actually church. The church, which is the people, the body of Christ, redeemed and purchased by the blood of the Lamb, they gather together for the purpose of hearing the word and receiving the Lord's Supper and baptizing people and being discipled and equipped to go out and tell people <laughs> about Jesus and, you know, do their good works and their vocations and stuff like that. But you actually haven't described church at all. Gather, we go, we gather, we go, we live in those unforced rhythms of grace. And when we do that, God is glorified in the midst. All right, so that was the gateway of heaven, and it was just miserable. So, yeah, we're back to normal here at Fighting for the Faith. Yay! Thank God it wasn't an Easter sermon. And now we recognize that the work is still a lot to be done in order to turn things around and get churches to repent and for pastors to do what Scripture actually tells them to do, to rightly handle God's Word, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins, to proclaim Christ and Him crucified, 
for our sins and to teach all that he has commanded to rightly divide God's word and teach what's in accord with sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. Yeah, let's just say that um, the you know we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of all that what it is that we are actually called to do. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith. You can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at fire Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.